Welcome to Weird Arts House Presents, uncovering originals with your host, Karen Tackett, and special guest, Kurt Alger. Good morning. Well, good morning. How are you? <laughs> I've never been better. Well, you know, that's what I love to hear. It's been such a long time since we've spoken. Just ages. Ages. So, good morning, everyone who's listening. It's probably not the morning. Actually, I think I release these things in the mid-afternoon, but it's the morning for us right now. And welcome to take two of episode two <laughs> of the Weird Arts House uh, weekly podcast, which this week is themed Uncovering Originals. And I need to first confess that I am sweating inappropriately because take one... <laughs> Take one of the Weird Arts House podcast for episode two, I thought would be so, uh, I don't know, wonderful to walk through the woods with my dog while I was recording it with Kurt. And um, what ended up happening was, oh, anything that could possibly happen when you're walking your dog in the woods. And then I immediately had to shut off the phone. And I think I just literally ran, ran for about a half a mile which my 44-year-old self hasn't done in quite some time. I have to continue to remember that I'm doing a podcast because I call Kurt often, and so this could just be a normal conversation that I end up airing. But I would like to have some sort of direction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'd like the focus to mainly be you, Curtie, because uh, for the people who happen to be listening, um, just a little bit of background, uh, I want... Kurt's full background from his childhood on, but when I came into um, meeting Kurt and becoming his friend, um, Raven was just born, and it was 2007, and I was going back into the rent company um, after having her, and I was all kinds of imbalanced in so many ways, and Kurt worked in the wardrobe department, but wasn't yet the wardrobe supervisor, Um, and so I didn't know him as a creative partner yet, but I definitely knew him as a confidant and like a major support system as I was trying to lose about 50 pounds in front of a Broadway audience every single night. (laughs) And we were trying so hard. Talk about creative problem solving. Like what was I going to wear? (laughs) But, um, you know, and we, our friendship just uh, blossomed from there. And we ended up going on the rent tour together. Um, which drew us even closer because we worked on uh, an original project together that we just continue to work on <laughs> together. It's been like, what, 10 years now or something? Yes. Um, yes, it certainly has. So now I sort of like to circle back um, because one of the things that intrigues me and, and made me want to have Kurt as our first guest of this Uncovering Originals theme of this week's episode uh, is that when this pandemic actually hit and the theater community was gripped with massive levels of unemployment at every level, um, Kurt decided really to take matters into his own hands. And what I love about Curtie and why I think we work so well together creatively is that he had to channel that creative energy somehow. And so he went a whole different route and started Vanity House Designs, which is an Etsy shop that, I mean, just broke records within its first uh, month of being up. And it's absolutely stunning home decor, um, you know, themed home decor, like collections that I that we'll talk about later. But um, so I think because um, 
my intention for this podcast was to be, you know, I want to have guests every single week that, that sort of represent really utilizing and maximizing their own creative resources to make manifest for themselves those projects and creations that they want to see in the world. Um, and then I also want to cap off each episode with a selection from one of these dusty old journals that I have collected and amassed over the decades that share maybe a little bit of a, a an enlightening or embarrassing story from where I've come from and then um, how that relates to an original song that I've written and then share that and sort of top it off with that. Does that sound all right, Freddie? I think it sounds glorious. Well, fantastic. And by the way, we call each other Murray and that's a whole other thing. And there's one other Murray who we can't even talk about right now. We don't even have time. No, that's a lot. It's a lot. So let's, let's revert back to the beginning. Um, a very good place to start. And... <laughs> um, tell us where you're from and you're like, can give us a little bit about our, your upbringing in Binghamton and the performing arts school that you went to the whole shebang. Um, I grew up in Binghamton, New York, uh, which is in the triple cities, Southern tier region of New York state. And it's sort of a backwards small town, but it's also not, it's got a lot of culture and creativity, um, including the first performing arts high school that was in a um, public high school in New York State that became the pilot program for a performing arts program that is in, I think, believe now, 25 uh, cities in New York State. Um, That's a- Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I was in the first graduating class of the performing arts high school. Wow. Um, That's Special. Yeah, it was it was kind of amazing. But before high school, I had um, done some community theater because my mom, who is also very creative, she was a hairdresser, but she was a great artist. She was a scenic painter for the opera company in Binghamton and the big uh, uh, community theater. And so when the community theater was doing Pippin when I was a little boy, uh, my mom had me audition and then I played Theo, Pippin's son. Oh. And then I did Oliver, and I was Dodger, and then I did Annie. Oh. Um, and then I stopped doing theater for a while. Um, we ended up moving to Ithaca for a few years. Beautiful. <clears throat> but then when high school came around, I went to the high school of performing arts, and I discovered my love of dance, and mm-hmm. I became... I know! Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. Oh. i in stage as the wardrobe supervisor. At, like at rent on tour would just all of a sudden come out with these huge kicks just cack right up to the, the side of his face and we'd be so excited anyways keep going <laughs> and so I was a dance major um, I was a double major I, I was double in acting and dance in high school which was really exciting um, I also traveled to France when I was 17 and danced uh, with a company in Bordeaux um, and then went to college as a musical theater major, which I never thought I was going to do musical theater. I thought I was just going to do dance. But strangely enough, what made me want to do musical theater was being gifted the CD of the original cast recording of Rent. That's and funny. It inspired me to want to do musical theater. And so mm-hmm. I went to college for musical theater. And then three months after I graduated college, I was hired as the hair and makeup supervisor for the non-union tour of Rent. Amazing. And I love I, that. And then I worked on rent for 10 years straight. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh-huh. In all 
different sort of incarnations and and presentations actually which is kind of cool because uh you know i think traditionally rent is has i mean at least with my experience of it i only got to do it this sort of one way you know it was one way it was directed one way um, maybe the the closest I got to doing a different version was when we went to Southeast Asia, but that was just because um, we were just working with what we had. We tried to do it as <laughs> traditionally as possible. We just kind of couldn't. But I mean, you got to do some presentations that were really, really unique and got to offer some creative, um, you know, input, which is really cool. Yeah, it was uh, one of the cool- coolest things. Is, so then I segued into... <laughs> After becoming this cost, uh, makeup supervisor and wardrobe supervisor for Rent, um, mm-hmm. in like downtime between uh, tours and stuff, I would come back to New York and I would I started costume designing, um, yeah. and hair and makeup designing. And so what ended up happening was I ended up being, and I don't really know how this happened. It was kind of magical. I ended up being the first person who got to quote unquote redesign Rent when the rights for Rent were released. Um, is that how you somehow were in charge of all of the costumes at one point? I remember they were just yes. all under then and control. <laughs> when Rent later on, when Rent closed on Broadway and on tour and was just completely closed for a couple years, all of the mm-hmm. costumes were shipped to Maine where I lived and were stored in a warehouse that I ran. I love it. Um, because the producers put me in charge of storing them and holding them. Um so it was just a really crazy journey of going from, oh, wait, when I was a kid, I hosted a news show for children called Action News for Kids. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I was going to ask about that when, when that came into the time. I was, I, I was from the time I was 11 until I was 14. Wow. And then when I was 15 and 16, I became a producer and writer on the show because I couldn't be on the show anymore. I aged out. Right. And I mean, what an arc of an age gap, 11 to 14. Talk about, you know, coming of age in front of the. (laughs) Let's just say there were some awkward looks. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) All of my awkward looks I have in some uh, photo albums stashed away somewhere, but thankfully they weren't splashed around on television quite yet. (laughs) I had other awkward looks that I could control. They were just odd choices at the time. And then I think one of the greatest transitions for me personally was being on Rent the Broadway Tour and actually working with you, Karen. And this will be probably a good segue for part of what we want to talk about. Uh, And working on Women in Three slash born blue and like not even working on it in the beginning but you just sharing it with me and like talking about it and sort of like becoming part of that like creative partnership with you and just it opened a different realm of like what I kind of did and led to like me helping to produce it when we came back to New York and like opened all these other like facets of what I had to do or wanted to do and um, oh my gosh and it was really it was really amazing and that piece actually has continued to push me to do other things every time we well, work what? on it I you know have different responsibilities and I mean we all do we all are all hands on deck and it's kind of amazing it, it really is and that was like I that that 
um, experience was very transformative for me as well, because actually with that piece, I had sort of put it to rest for a while because, um, you know, when you, when you, when you create something and design something, uh, you know, from your perspective, you're, it's almost like it's your baby. And then if you share it with people and, and try to do it so many times and you hear, um, you know, just you get a little bit discouraged. I sort of had, had just sort of signed off on it for a while and I had a child and we were on tour. So it was like, you know, my gosh, um, just there wasn't really time. Um, but then in talking to you and being like, oh, yeah, you know, I had this musical that I was writing that, you know, I was doing for a while. And then we would just um, spend so many nights <clears throat> just you would listen to me for talk forever and then just sort of bounce back ideas and then all of a sudden it inspired me to really want to redraft the whole entire show and then from there what turned into we just sort of wanted to have a small intimate gathering and invite the cat you know after the show to maybe read through the latest version of the script and get some feedback and we were going to play the songs and of course Kurt can't do anything on a small scale when I say like cat I mean, it was like an event. It was catered. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And he did it all. And um, and maybe I think Emily shared the room with you, yep. too, right? Uh, I think at the time. And just the timing of it was I talk about magic. You said that before, but it just seemed like so meant to be because um, Michael Greif happened to be in town, the director of Rent, and and he just to check on the show and give notes to the cast. And we just sort of told him that we were going to do that after the show. And all of a sudden it became this like legitimate event. And Michael was in the middle of the room and on the floor and taking notes. And, and so was Anthony rap and um, asking all these really insightful questions. And, and then Michael took the time to, to take me aside and give me notes. And that was when I first heard that maybe it was time to <clears throat> change the title. Um, because so many revisions had been made where we started to shift the focus of the show a little bit. Um, and it really seemed like, oh, wow, maybe we really have something here. And then you and I just put on our like co-producer, creative partner, let's have our hands all over it, Matt. And we just taught ourselves how to produce this show. And uh, I... I what an experience like I can't even begin there are so many stories <laughs> that we could probably tell about the whole process um but I think that I think when you find somebody um I think that to create something yourself and come up with a creative idea yourself that you execute and and you know bring into being yourself um is an accomplishment but when you can sort of share your creative ideas with another person um, and and have that level of trust and um, sort of alignment. It's really remarkable. And when you can sort of let go, you know, I mean, there's always this cycle of like tension with the process too, where it's like you're creating the 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 concept, sort of the um, the wardrobe and the aesthetic of which is very very much tied to the concept of the show. And so. Um, you know, our, our responsibilities would cross, you know, you would, you would weigh in on the story, I would weigh in on the costume. And so it sort of becomes this merge, this meeting of creative minds. And so, um, and with that comes like major emotional highs and lows, especially if you're you and me. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. Never. <laughs> 
I mean, those moments are probably even more valuable to me than than just if the process is probably more valuable to me than even the product, Curdy. I mean, just working with you on it and and having these moments of first of all, there's these genuinely brilliant, raw, authentic moments of creativity where we connect or think of something at the same time, maybe when we're not even in the same room and and then communicate it to each other and, and are amazed that we've had the same idea or you know, that one idea can extend and play off another idea. You know, at one point, even with this album that we're doing right now, um, you said to me, you know, I, I'm really pushing my vocal boundaries lately. And you're really coming into a point where you're awakening that um, those, the well-roundedness of those gifts and talents that you've been nurturing actually since you were a kid, you know, but you've transitioned to so many different creative careers that you know you might have set that aside for a little while and now you've had the opportunity to really sharpen those skills again and you were like hey could you throw something in one of those songs that sort of um helps to you know support that growth of my range and I immediately found the perfect creative spot for that but I wouldn't have looked for it unless you had said that so you know it's it's uh it's one of those great exchanges of energy and so when you find that and when you can also deal with the lows of it, you know, when we're like totally screaming at each other and being like, you have hurt me more than anyone. <laughs> Never in a million years would either of us ever say something so heated. Never. Never, ever. But it's so great. Like we, and then when that, mo- when those raw, also authentic, also full of creativity moments happen, you know, um, they pass and we're even all the better for it. We're great about laughing it off with one another and sort of using those moments just to bring us closer together. And, and also, I mean, producing a show is hard. I mean, there's a creative process involved in that that isn't even spoken about. I mean, people think that shows are all about the performance or the costumes or the lights or, I mean, but there's, there's an art form to producing a show. That (laughs) co-producing that first reading was like yeah. one of the biggest learning experiences of my entire life. Gosh, but that was seamless. That one was the one that looked on the surface <laughs> as though there was nary a, nary problem. a problem. Like nary a problem leading up to it. But you and you um were handling so many issues and not letting me know because you wanted me to focus on the mm-hmm. creative aspects of the show, which was such an awesome balance. And at that point you actually had a, like a company manager who helped like sort of balance some of those responsibilities as opposed to in a couple of the future productions that we did where there was no company manager or stage manager or sound person or choreographer (laughs) or director. (laughs) And we had to (laughs) do all of it. And, uh, and, and then those were the moments where we'd stop and then I'd look and Kurt would be, completely doused in sweat (laughs) head to toe buckets of sweat while he's perfecting somebody's like hair and makeup possibly crawling across a sawdust you know ridden floor trying to tape extension cords down and sling light bulbs over rafters so that anthony's putting you know the most basic chairs out (laughs) it was a good time it was a good time and a learning experience. And then, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and go to like the awkward place where, and this is what I love about 
Curdy and I, and this is something that I appreciate about our creative partnership, is that discussing all the ways that also we've stumbled and that we and, and really fleshing out those low points with one another um, and sort of finding the value in them is something that I think we kind of thrive on. But we we had a 2012 production where you know, our tensions ran so high and there were so many other people involved in the project that I had given up control to um, that, you know, when it came down to it, we had, we let Kurt go from the production and he was like, what? Like completely aghast because he had spent, you know, several years leading up to that, you know, co-creating the wardrobe design and producing and leading not. And I mean, you were really busy and you were doing other things. So it's not like you, you were even in the same state as us, but you were offering even when, you know, we were like, we just, this isn't going to work. We're going to have to do this production without you. You were so um, graceful about it that, you know, I'd check in with you here and there throughout the rehearsal process. And I'd be like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) But um, I certainly miss your involvement in this project (laughs) and many things would benefit from your (laughs) from your involvement. And you would offer to send the costumes and and still offer your support, which was really great. And then after that production was over, um, you know, we we talked it through and and patched things up and then decided to move forward creatively and and keep it going. So, I mean, I think that longevity and commitment and just the acknowledgement that we're human um, really helps in the creative process because that is the creative process really I mean like uncovering those the depths of our humanity that might be sort of really awkward and hard to confront um, just in verbal conversation or in or normal life and then we present those things artistically and thrive off of them and learn from them and grow from them, hopefully. And that's, I think, what I celebrate the most from my relationship with you, besides the fact that we laugh so much together and we snuggle hard when appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so, but there's also a lot of other things that, that sort of we, I mean, aside from our creative partnership on, Born Blue. I mean, I want to sort of ask you about uh, what it's like to go from sort of working within a wardrobe and supervising department and taking the cues from another designer and then transforming tra- your your career into sort of that designer mode and then having to and, and then having to share that vision with other people, having other people work with you and around you. I, I really there are so many fantastic shows that Curdy has designed like Caligula and the Liberace show, both were done at Nymph uh, Festival. We almost went on the hair tour together. So close. Very, so close going on the hair tour. But you did come visit a couple of times um, because we were pretty very, very um, <clears throat> And then what's most recently super intriguing to me. Oh, and you've also produced albums, Yes, right? I've been on the producing team of a... A handful of albums for other. I I think I have this thing where it's like when I have friends who I see are creative and they're trying to do something that they're really passionate about, I want to help them make it happen. Um, you both and so continue. I've always felt that way. Um, and I've always felt that that was like part of like what I'm supposed to do. 
And I think I've done that with like, Ooh. or I've tried to do that with you and Women in Three, and I've done it with some friends and albums and uh, live musical performances. And I think I've done the same thing with a lot of my uh, creative relationships with my assistants and helping them um, push forward and meet other designers and work with other designers and get other jobs and oh. design jobs of their own. Uh, it's just, I've always thought of myself as someone who tries to help push other people forward. Um, and sometimes that's uh, taken the wrong way in hindsight, but you know, lots of times intentions are misunderstood. But Absolutely. it's always come from a place of wanting to help people um, and nurture mm -hmm. other people's creativity. Um, Absolutely. I totally get it. And you're very passionate. So, I mean, a lot of people that, that could probably be intimidating. Mm -hmm. You know, I get it. But um, I do, I would definitely second that about you. And I think that might be a, something about why we work well together is because um, even when I was a kid and I was trying to do things, and I see this in Raven, uh, in my daughter today, I never wanted to just do it alone. I wanted to like gather the music. Right. <laughs> on everybody, let's put on a show, you know, and I'm still doing it today. Like I started the Weird Arts House, you know, to do that very thing. <laughs> so um, I, I think it is a part of, you know, that creative force, you know, that I, I see in you. I see you needing to share it, connect it. It connects you to other people. And then I think that's why when this pandemic hit, this might be a good way to also segue into this. Um, you're, you're gifting your craft to so many people and you're surrounded by those people and those shows and that energy and that. And then all of a sudden it was just gone you know and um and and everyone had to be home and we would talk so often about you know how to manage that and ha how to navigate our way through that and how to keep ourselves from I mean it can actually make you feel sick inside that lack of creative energy or creative outlet and so um I <laughs> I'm not surprised at all, but I was, but I was very blown away when, you know, of course you were like after coming and visiting and, and, you know, working on the women in three project for a day and also working on our farm for a day, you went back to New York and you were like, you know, I think I'm going to start this Etsy shop. And then it just felt like I blinked. <laughs> <laughs> And all of a sudden, you have this Etsy store with these amazing. I want you to describe it because I, I'm not going to be as floral and and you know probably um, descriptive as you will about what it entails and and what it is that you're offering through Vanity House Designs. But I know they look probably even more glorious in person. But what I'm seeing on on your store, on your Etsy store, I'm like, first of all, how does somebody do all of this? in this, this amount of time and have it be so beautiful, so creative, like so unique. I've never seen anything like what you're putting up on this, on this shop. And then also unique to Etsy, like they're contacting you and being like, how did you do this? So I, I just would love to hear you sort of talk about how you went from, Hmm, I need to do something with all of this creative energy and channel it to this. How did you form the idea? How did you decide to execute it? And what is going on with this design template and all these things that you keep banging out? Because the creative process itself, 
like how you come up with your designs. I'm wondering if it's similar to how I come up with songs. And so go for it. Okay. So Vanity House Designs, um, first of all, the name Vanity House is also the name of my costume and wig rental company that I have personally, like when I do shows and I use my own stuff and theaters pay to rent from me. It's Vanity House. Um, And the name Vanity House came from the house that I lived on Staten Island in for 18 years. Um, When me and the first three roommates moved there right after college, we like came up with this name for the house called the House of Vanities. And then it like switched (laughs) to Vanity House at some point. Um, And it's it's a place you can actually even check into on Facebook. It's hysterical. Um, And so... Anyway, that's where the name came from. Then I um, was doing these, uh, I was up in Maine visiting someone and I was talking with them about craft fairs and all this stuff. And I was like, I could do craft fairs. I'm crafty. And I was was like, I don't know what I would sell or what I would do. And then I started just kind of thinking and I, for, for people who know me, they know that I'm kind of obsessed with Christmas and Christmas decorating. Um, I normally put up a minimum of 10 trees in my house. Um, and this year I did not put up that many, but I did decorate still. Um, and I was like, I really love decorating for the holidays. And I was like, you know, I bet I could create stuff for holidays and sell it on Etsy and so I kind of went on Etsy and I looked at like the price points of what people were selling and what people were selling and what the trends were and then I was like okay but I want to do my own thing because people really love my aesthetic when they see my stuff so I kind of took a little bit of all of that and put it together like you know what people what was trending and what people were buying and my aesthetic and you know Mm -hmm kind of combine that to come up with the ideas of what I wanted to do but I wanted to switch it up and not just sell like one thing I didn't want it to be like Kurt makes wreaths and sells them on Etsy now my wreaths are the big like focal point of what I sell but each thing is I try to create a collection so I I come up with the Mm -hmm. idea for a wreath and then I try to find either I'll make like a centerpiece that'll go with it or like a cool sign or like mm-hmm. candle holders or something like that just yeah. pieces that accompany it very similar to if you were to go into a high-end store and they have a line of products that they're like oh you could buy these right. christmas ornaments and this wreath and you know this little whatever and then right. everything will kind of go together and you can put your own spin on it or whatever and so that's kind of where that came it. from and so i wanted to create these collections um, but I wanted to make it so that you could buy the pieces separately or you could buy the whole collection on Etsy. And so that's what I did. And, um, it that turned out awesome. to be very successful. Oh my goodness. In what a way I that I had that never expected. <laughs> um, as of today, the shop has been open for 97 days and I have made over 220 sales. Um, oh my goodness. And I'm <laughs> very confused by it. <laughs> oh, but I'm also very thrilled and it's become like a, a real 
crazy like pivot. Um, and actually we're getting ready. Vanity House Designs will be um, on Monday unveiling our mm-hmm. Valentine's Day line, a Mardi Gras oh. line, and the start of the basic spring collections. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. I'm like, <laughs> it's first true. Know people. Um, it's... And so now I have this full like craft studio at my yeah. house, which is crazy. And um, of course, yeah, it used to be where studio. all the wigs and everything were done. And now all that's kind of packed away and it's all focused on this business venture. Oh, um, oh. you know, it is an HDTV special because I'm telling you when, when I, when you, you know, revealed this, this particular facet of your creative, you know, just genius. I will say genius, but um, I, I just sort of thought, well, that's it. He actually really does <laughs> do everything. And so, <laughs> so I thought to myself, why isn't this also being like video documented? Like you need to put up just a quick tripod with a camera because you're also just who you are as a human being. I'm not blowing smoke up anyone's pooper people. I'm telling you that his charisma and his personality like the process is just as engaging his process is just as engaging as his products and so i feel that somewhere in the future for you not to add more to your is some sort of hgtv-esque you know situation where you're where you're like engaging people with the process because i think it's really a unique process your creative process is really unique and worth sharing i think a lot of people well thank you i think um real quick one other thing that i think is unique about vanity house designs is one of the elements that i was adamant about incorporating in each collection or each piece was i'm recycling or upcycling something so i spent months going to garage sales and yard sales and estate sales and Salvation Armies across the Northeast and Goodwills across the Northeast. And I bought anything I could that was any sort of holiday decor. Anything. Um, nice. nice. So that I can like, Reusing I, things. I take Reduce, stuff reusing. apart and I put it together in different ways and use pieces on things. And so every single piece has something incorporated with it that it has been remade or reused or something like that. Because... Every year, thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of holiday decorations are just thrown away. So, thrown away. I bet. I are you not, dumpster diving? I've not this gone stuff? that far yet. Oh no, that's a lie. I did okay, pull. Well, I for you I pull it wasn't dumpster <laughs> diving, but it was on the side of the road. There was um, a Christmas tree and a wreath, and I took them like an artificial Christmas tree and wreath, and I took the Christmas tree completely apart to have all the branches to make more wreaths out of. Um, and so wow. I'm just, I'm trying to do that too Love as it. part of it. Like, that's what I want to see. Oh my I want to see footage of that. <laughs> that's the terrifying part. <laughs> but that doesn't surprise me at all about you. You're, you're like, when, I mean, I hate to bring up, you know, this is not maybe the most creatively rewarding moment that we've ever had, but your MacGyver-esque, your MacGyver-esque tendencies. I mean, remember when we were on tour in Providence, Rhode Island, and we were just strolling down the street and Raven's stroller got caught up in all that fishing twine and you just grabbed a nearby hubcap. (laughs) 
<laughs> and tried to like saw through the fishing line. And then, then you were like, what am I doing? What am I? MacGyver, I'm MacGyver. And then I lost the ability to help you because I was laughing so hard. It was like hysterical. I still can't believe I did that. <laughs> oh my gosh. But every single creative step like you know when it's running through you like that you can't help but try to find some sort of outlet for it so I just want to say we're at about 40 minutes which is nothing it's a drop in a bucket for Curdy and I our fellow listeners but I do have to wrap it up um, because I want to cap off sort of the episode and I was trying to figure out what song what original song of mine to share um and I think that the one that I'm going to share that ties me the closest to you, Curdy, is mm. um, the song Make Me Whole. That's the act yeah. one closer of Woman in Three, because you and I often shoot those texts back and forth uh, with those lyrics to each other. Because I feel like in a way, some sometimes when we work together creatively, we are um, like sort of fulfilling you know, something, fulfilling that creative process of whatever it is that we're working on together. We're making it whole. So um, I, uh, I want to say congratulations. I want to encourage every single one of our listeners to go to the Vanity House Designs um, website, which I'm sure I'll figure out how to share <laughs> via link or something. Um, and I'm sure I'll be able to share that song, Make Me Whole, with you too. But, you know, I might not. Who knows? If You're not new at this. I'm new at this. I don't know if you could pause I'm new at this, Murray. Um, and the reason why we call each other Murray, just to sign off, is because when we were doing, when Woman in Three was called Born Blue and we renamed it and it was like revamped and redone with Kurt designing the, the wardrobe and design concept, um, it was super out there. I mean, I'm not saying it's not still super out there, but it's, it, it, it's not really. But the, the visual concept at first glance, you might mm-hmm. be like, what is this that I am... That I am? approaching and so we sort of uh decided to try to put like a series of little commercial snippets together where we would dress up like we were like tourists from long island coming in to see a broadway show outside the the born murray get the what the hell was that i don't even know people are blue there's there's people are dying they're hanging themselves murray get the car <laughs> i thought we were going to this, see blue this, Man's what is this murray <laughs> I want to tell you that just real quick, um, so, you inspired me. I got out my dusty old journals um, because I'm going to read through some of my old oh. creative writing as well. Um, not not on this, but just for really? me. Really? <laughs> well, maybe sure, yeah. on another I mean, episode if, you if might, If you'd right? want me to. I just was like, oh, when I'm you said so dusty excited. old journals earlier, I was like, oh, I want to go dig those out and read some of those poems. Because I used to write a lot of poetry oh my and I haven't done it for like 20 we... years, but I think it would be fun to like revisit it. Of course. Why not? I think that that's what these times are absolutely for. That's probably why with all the tumult that's going on in the world, you know, the those that really need to channel that creative energy are probably feeling an right. overload. And it's like, and ah, some of these poems are about with people this. who are having a resurgence <laughs> in my life right now. So I feel like it would be good to. Wow. I also just want to, on a side note, yeah, I really mm-hmm. am going to stop this podcast, <laughs> but I just wanted to say another little bit of one of those serendipitous moments happened during this podcast. And I want to just make you aware of it because you don't even know, because you said that you went to I Bordeaux. What was it company. that you did in Bordeaux? You danced for the ballet company in Bordeaux because for Women in Three, the very first demo recordings that I did um, were in Europe and we were on tour with Greece. And I, after the show, 
would hook up all my gear and this amazing the drummer for the tour was so patient and amazing with me and he would spend hours teaching me how to use my mbox and my computer program so i could record this women in three demo and then he really started to get into it and started recording like keyboard patches for it and stuff and then um at the end of my contract he was uh french and he was from bordeaux and he um arranged a recording session for me in bordeaux and i went there and i did not speak one word of French and they did not speak one word of English and I just arrived and we did the song thank you and the song to give life from women in three and then I proceeded to the south of France and took my women in three script to the you know church of Saint Marie de la Mer which is a whole other episode for a whole other day because I was in search of a blessing for my project but I think it's really like I didn't know that about you and then you shared that on this episode and I'm like huh we've both been in Bordeaux and had those creative juices going there (laughs) neither am I I'm not surprised but anyways (laughs) it's time for me to go crazy (laughs) um but please come back and be a guest of mine again let's share poetry and lyrics because I think this went really well I'm not even gonna make any edits I'm just gonna put it up there what do you think I think let's do a little virtual pad on the back and then uh I want to thank everybody who's joining in and listening. And I love you so much. And I'll right. probably I love call you, too. you when Have a wonderful day, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was my goal to really only have Kurt uh, and I talking for about 30 minutes. And I wanted to wrap up the podcast um, by about 45. But you know what? We're going to extend a little bit because I think it was worth it. Kurt, was a very worthy guest and he is so multifaceted. And has so much creative energy, and really we only touched on just a, just a second of it. So um, my idea was that at the, at the end of these interviews and these particular themed podcasts of uncovering originals, it really intrigues me where th- people come up with their ideas, how they create, um, what their process is. In my life, I, I seem to have collected and amassed a whole encyclopedia of uh, journals and lyric books and song books and um, you know notation books of every single song I've ever written since I could write a song Uh, so I wanted to sort of sign off each of these podcasts with possibly an excerpt from one of the journals um, and then introduce one of my original songs and and briefly discuss uh, how it was written it's funny because as I was talking to Kurt uh, I chose the song Make Me Whole because it uh, it is a very connective song for Curdie and I because it is the Act 1 finale of Women in 3, um, a.k.a. Born Blue, which we've worked on for the last 10 years together, except for just one, one little pesky year there, <laughs> not even a year, just a couple months, where we parted ways for a bit to take a breather from one another. But um, I also realized that this song... Make Me Whole actually is a is a story um, of its own, and it's going to possibly lead me to the next guest that I have on Uncovering Originals, which was my songwriting partner uh, from back in L.A., one of them, uh, named Tai Long Lee, who I uh, had some of the most intense and rewarding and profound and challenging creative processes with uh, in the years of, I'd say, I think we started writing together in 1997 and um you know we I moved out of LA and we went our separate ways somewhere around 2003 but we wrote the bulk of our songs um in the years of between 19 I'd say 97 and 99 and man when we got together right did we write uh 
I'd, I'd uh, go from my horrible job at Starbucks. Horrible. <laughs> oh, man. If there was ever a job that I was not meant to have, it would be A, telemarketing, and then uh, followed by a, uh, a quick B, that of the barista. Nope, not my calling. So um, I'd you know, emerge from Starbucks and extraordinarily caffeinated, and then I would uh, haul myself over to Long's really high-end bay shop at the time, the L.A. Base Exchange, which he had built a studio in the back of, and I would show up there after my shift, and I would not leave until we had written at least one song. Sometimes we'd write two or three in a night, and we would record them and record layer upon layer. You know, we'd have like seven vocal tracks (laughs) and probably seven bass tracks. The things he could do with that bass was unbelievable. Um, We wrote this song together after uh, a time where I was going through something really traumatic, just incredibly traumatic. All of those Me Too stories that you hear uh, from women who are trying to make it in the industry or any level of the entertainment industry, and actually not just women, but uh, for a while uh, we were hearing a a lot of women's voices, which was great. Um, And of course I had my unfortunately very classic Me Too story of trying to get ahead in the recording business and uh, and waking up one morning and realizing that um, I felt nothing but shame and sorrow and sadness and loss of control over what had happened to me and my life and who was controlling my life and what kind of music I was writing, how I was living, the choices I was making. I just didn't, I got myself lost in La La Land, and uh, I hadn't been able to really genuinely write or talk to Long or even look at myself in the mirror or meditate or do any of my spiritual practices or really do anything authentic for a really long time uh, while I was there because of this one particularly traumatic experience. Um, And one night, uh, with the help of Long's girlfriend at the time named Kelly, who finally just let me know that she was there when I was ready to talk and it just so happened that I was ready to talk there's a lot more to the story uh, but Long created a safe space in his studio for me and we sat down in a circle and lit some candles and I shared my story and there happened to be um, an absolutely incredible producer who who joined us uh, Rory Bennett who was another incredibly supportive force in my life at that very challenging time Uh, and he joined us and after I shared my story and we all literally cried um, and I learned about love again (laughs) Uh, and what true love can do when you really have that support Um, we wrote this song together and it's called Make Me Whole Uh, it wound up Uh, I put it in the musical, Women in Three, um, which we'll touch on at some other time. That's like five episodes. Uh, But but this song was written individually, and so rather than introduce it as a part of the musical, Women in Three, um, I'd just like for it to stand on its own. So here it is. This is a song that was written by myself and... Uh, Tai Long Lee, and it is called Make Me Whole. I hope you enjoy. I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast. I hope you return next week for episode three. Our theme is going to be honoring our elders. 
And you bet your bottom that my first guest in that particular themed podcast is going to be none other than the beautiful beings who created me, Charlie and Sandy Manuel of Boxford, Massachusetts. Watch out, everyone. There's going to be no filter. (laughs) Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay healthy. Stay together. Oh, wait, there's one more uh, thing that I think is worth mentioning, and that is the the actual recording that I'm playing for you. This track, um, this version of Make Me Whole, is actually the original recording from 1999. Uh, myself, Tai Long Lee, um, and actually I think there's one gentleman singing back up with me on the choruses whose name I, I don't remember but I love it because it's the most pure version of the song uh, we had just written it probably about 30 to 40 minutes prior so I hope you enjoy stay weird everyone and this is take two
Ooh. 